The following program was made possible by Ward's Lawyers. Find us at wardlegal.ca. Hey there, thanks for being with us for episode 54. My name is Denny Grignon, the fella, your neighbor, who hosts this program. Speaking of neighbors, a bunch of them make up Hitcher, a Kawartha Lakes-based band that plays covers with a decidedly Canadian flavor. We'll introduce you to its drummer, Big Rick, later in the program. Bet on Coulter Babcock to make it the baseball's big leagues. But first, there's a scholarship to play university ball in Illinois. The walls aren't tumbling down, they are down. Barb Doyle of the Quarth Lakes Museum and Archives tells us what's next now that you can see clearly to the old jail. And those dog days of COVID are slowly becoming different, or at least returning to pre-2020, as we slowly return to that once familiar workplace where you probably can't wear pajamas. Julie Corlett joins us with some wisdom on what to expect now that our four-legged pals will be more solo. A show that's no bark, no bite, just a lot of happy tail wagging. This is the Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawarthalates. Ah, it seems like just yesterday that little Coulter Babcock was at the Ops Baseball Diamonds at home plate with a helmet that was probably a bit big, a bat that definitely was big, which he dropped as he hit the ball, then rounded the bases for his Pee Wee Division minor league baseball team. Yep, feels like yesterday, say his parents, likely all the time. Well, Coulter is not so little anymore, but the young man is still rounding bases, soon for stakes that are a bit higher than Little League championships. Coulter Babcock, six foot one, 190 pounds, according to his stat card, recently earned a scholarship to play university ball in the United States, with the Prairie State College Pioneers. Now, this is a big deal. It takes the game to a different level for him, as the sport axiom goes. And uh, it could be the first step towards a career as a pro. I met with Coulter recently when he described to me what it was like showcasing his skills at an eight-day professional scouting event in Florida. I started by asking him, take me to that moment when you walked out onto the field for the first time and now you've got not just, you know, parents and uh, a crowd watching you, you've got scouts. What was that like? Uh, it was definitely nerve wracking at first, it being kind of my first time down in Florida uh, with a bunch of different teams playing the top talent in Canada. Uh, it was, it was a whole, it was, it was really scary at first, but once I kind of got the feel of things and got that first practice under my belt, I was like, yeah. I'm supposed to be here. This is what I'm here to do. How long did it take to get to that point where, where you, you convinced yourself that I'm here, I deserve to be here like anyone else? Uh, but I think I think by our first game, I was I was pretty set on, yeah, I'm just here to do my thing. No one's going to tell me otherwise. And if coaches like it, coaches like it. If they don't, so what? I'm here to play baseball. You went in with that attitude that yeah. if nothing happens, really? Yeah, I'm, I just I went down to play baseball. Baseball is something I love doing. Whether I play it professionally or not, it's something I'll always do. But the stakes are a bit higher, though, Coulter. Yeah. you got to admit. So take me to that moment when you're at the plate and those first couple of pitches come. Yeah, I, I, I think in my first at-bat, I think I watched three straight pitches because I was just like, I wasn't ready to swing. I, I had to take a step out of the box, took a deep breath, and then got back in, cleared my head, and it's like, it was like I was a whole different person after that. Got those pitches out of the way, and it became just playing baseball. Did you do that baseball thing where you hold up your hand to the umpire to say, hang on a second, I need oh, to catch my breath? I think I did that a couple times, yeah. Oh, okay. I had so, to take my time, clear my head. 
So what was it like when you did finally connect and, and make contact? It was good to finally get that hit out of the way. It, it took so much off my chest. All the stress went away of, hey, I got to perform down here. And after that, I just I kept hitting baseballs. It, get, it gets in your mind that once you hit one, you hit more. Baseball is baseball. You keep hitting. The guys were the guys were playing hard. It just made me want to work harder. Well, tell me about that whole process. When you're on the field, the eyes of the people are watching you. Were there regular assessments, or could you just play ball, get it out of the way, and then they talk to you at the end? Or... Yeah, so during games, coach, other coaches wouldn't talk to you at all. They'd let you play baseball. They'd there watching, taking notes. And if coach wanted to talk to you after, they would pull you aside, and uh, they'd bring up some stuff. They'd introduce themselves, tell you where they're from, tell them a little about the school, and they would explain to you that they really like certain things. But during the game, it was guys are playing baseball we're gonna let them play baseball you knew what that was, what was that like Coulter because because as a player you, you have, and I remember coaching just even over here at ops that you know you're always bringing guys in you're trying to calm them down and, and you're you know, trying to guide them through it but now you're on your own what was that like yeah like you know as a player you know you got eyes watching you and you know that you make one mistake it's gonna affect something or you do something right it's gonna change it but you just go down there with the mindset like be the player you are and don't try and change your game for one thing. Do the do the little things, and the big things will happen. How sure were you that you would be recruited, that you would earn a scholarship? Uh, there was definitely times when I thought that, hey, maybe I got to look at doing something else. But once it kind of once it kind of ramped up a little bit, I was like, okay, I just gotta I gotta wait for the right school. The right school will find me. I'll get the right offer, and I'll be all set. This is such a Canadian question, but did you ever feel that? Okay, I'm the Canadian kid here. I'm surrounded by Americans who, who play this through and through. They, many of them probably have longer seasons if they're in the, in the South. Did that ever weigh in your mind at all? Yeah, it did. Like, we were playing guys that were, they had, they were already 20 games into their season, and we were just fresh off, fresh off a couple practices. It was nice. Like, a lot of Canadian players nowadays get drafted and go play pro ball. So I kind of had the mindset, like, even though I'm Canadian, I'm still going to be, I'm still going to get my chance. What was the mood like amongst all the uh, players from different countries? We were good. We all we all bonded really together. A lot of us were in the same hotel. A lot of different teams stayed in the same hotel. So the guys you're competing with for a spot possibly at university, you're hanging out with them. Yeah, like they're great guys. They they work just as hard as you do, and they deserve their shot too. So you become friends with the guys you play against. Baseball is kind of a game like that. Not too much tension. You just go out and play play your game. So what was it like when somebody finally approached you and said? Coulter, we have this university in Illinois. How would you like to join us? Yeah, I, I was in the room with my mom, and when the coach said, hey, we want to offer you a scholarship, I remember my heart sank. My, I think I smiled for the next four days maybe, and it was just I, I wanted to scream in happiness, but I had to stay professional. And it was, uh, it, it was really exciting to finally get that chance. There was a right school for me, and to finally get that call, be like, hey, we want you on this team. It was a, it was a good feeling. But I think being away from home is definitely going to be a toughest part. You know, just not being able to see my family every day. I think once school kind of starts, you, you kind of you kind of start focusing and you kind of realize that, yeah, it, it, it'll get a bit easier. Well, what are you hoping this will lead to? Uh, I'm definitely hoping this will lead to a professional baseball career somewhere uh, down the line. It, it would be nice. Uh, you know, I just got to keep working and hopefully one day I'll get my shot in the big leagues. Coulter, we're only about eight kilometers away from where you started playing ball at the Ops Diamonds. How far do those Ops Diamonds feel right now? Uh, they, they feel pretty far away. Yeah, it's like it's crazy to think that that's where I all started. And anytime I go back there, I always like to take my time and just think of like, I, I played baseball here for 10 years and I grew up here. This is where I started the love for the game. It's definitely gonna, it's definitely gonna feel even further as I get further away. It's gonna, it's gonna feel like I'm leaving home.
not being able to step on those diamonds anymore. I'm Coulter Babcock, I'm from Lindsay, Ontario, and I'm now a new member of the uh, Prairie State College uh, Pioneers. And you're listening to The Advocate Podcast, Stories from Fourth Lakes. We are brought to you by Ward's Lawyers. For all your legal needs, Carissa Ward and the team at Ward's, they have you covered. Find out how they can help you at wardlegal.ca. We are also 100% local independent media and part of the Advocate magazine. And our May issue is available now across Kawartha Lakes, including Lamantia's Country Market in Lindsay and the Foodland in Bob Cajun. In our newest issue, check out Kirk Winter's feature on our fire service's challenges of recruiting and keeping volunteer firefighters. Restful time for your dog. So my idea is that if you are working from home um, and your dog was used to having quiet time, if they had a crate or bed like that, that you actually put them in it for a couple of hours a day just to keep that part of the routine. From pretty much exactly two years ago, episode six to be exact, that was Julie Corlett, a former vet tech who breeds championship show dogs, and she's also a professional dog groomer here in Kawartha Lakes. Now, you'll remember that time two years ago, that upheaval with so many of us being locked down at home with our dogs. Julie offered some sage advice as we all tried to figure out how we, I mean human and dog, would manage being together all day long every day. Well, we're seeking Julie's wisdom again, but for a reversal of sorts. Now that many of us are headed back to the office, what to do with this new human-dog relationship where we will now be separated again? Julie joins me on the line from her home south of Omimi. Julie, thanks for coming on the program again. Oh, no problem. What effect has the past two years had on dogs whose owners were within paws reach most days, all day long? I'm just wondering what what we may be dealing with. Well, I think a lot of people who were sitting on the fence on whether to get a dog or not, went ahead and got one. And because of COVID, there weren't the number of obedience classes and help that way for you to navigate through the puppy, the puppy stage of a dog and therefore uh, move on to the adult stage. And I think because of that, there are some perhaps issues as far as the dogs behaving themselves, obedience, socialization, all of that that is very important to a puppy and that was missed with the COVID. I'm thinking about dogs who had a long history with their owners and then all of a sudden now they're hanging out with them for all day, every day for two years. I, I just wonder what what that did to them, to their regular routine where they had to, where they, well, let's face it, they were forced to be with their owners all day long. Would, would that have changed their psychological makeup <laughs> from what they were used to? Oh, definitely. Sure. Like you say, forced to be with their owners. I'm sure they enjoyed it. They had their owners at their beck and call. and They got to go for extra walks and lots of pats on the head and that sort of thing. And uh, with owners going back to work, it's going to change things. I think the dogs got very used to having their owners around. Um, housebreaking wise, they could be let out anytime they wanted to rather than learning to hold on to it. And, and as far as companionship, you know, they really really develop strong bonds with their owners 
And uh, with the owners leaving them for any period of time, it's going to be stressful. They will manage, but um, there is a lot of separation anxiety already with people going back to work and veterinarians are having to prescribe medication uh, for dogs that are probably doing some damage to the house, barking a lot, drooling, scratching at doors, tearing things apart when the owners aren't home. Dogs will scratch the baseboard or the door trim eat the doors uh, some can do a lot of damage and uh, so how do you deal how do you deal with that outside of giving them medication or, or maybe in combination with medication it probably should have been dealt with sooner than than now than leaving them for eight to ten hours it should have been developed uh, started with a, a bit of a plan where you you left them for 45 minutes you left them for an hour you left them for two hours to go to the grocery store I think a lot of people probably just put them in the car and took them with them because they weren't going to be in the grocery store very long. They weren't gone from the house for very long up until this point. So the dogs got to go everywhere, but they should have been left for short periods of time and lengthen that time um, that you're gone so the dogs learn to live without it. You can leave a radio on, a TV on. I'd still do that, you know, small periods of time of the dog left alone and then try and lengthen that before you go back to work. If you're already back to work, you're going to have to look at other things to do, like when you leave the house, you don't make a big deal of it. You just leave. You don't say, bye-bye, I'm going to be back soon. That gets the dog all anxious. You just walk out the door. Um, You can buy some very safe toys like a Kong and stuff it and maybe put some peanut butter in it or yogurt or dog food and let the dog, be dealing with that when you walk out the door as a distraction and then the, yeah distraction like that something very safe and then when you come home it's the same thing you don't say oh i'm home you know that sort of thing all excited you just walk in the door open the door and let the dog outside hmm. don't well, even barely pet it on the head just so that your exit and your entrance is not a big deal to the dog and so that they learn that you know mom and dad leave and they're back again um and it's just a normal routine. Well, you answered a couple of my questions there and, and certainly offered uh, some some uh, advice for people who are still yet to go back to work to maybe wean themselves off the dog by leaving a couple of hours at a time and slowly building it up. Uh, so that's great advice for the dogs. I'm, I'm just wondering, Julie, do you have any advice, not for the dogs, but for the dog owners having to make this adjustment? Well, <laughs> they've got to learn to... to uh, you know, miss the dog. A lot of them get cameras uh, so they can watch their dogs if they're at work on their phone, that sort of thing, to see that things are going well. Take them for a good walk. Get up a little bit earlier so that they're tired and you've spent some time with them, which is great. And then again, when you get home, make sure you have a little bit of time to take your dog for another walk when you get home. And there's a bonding process going on there. You spend time with your dog, the dog's tired, you're happy, you get exercise. It's a win-win situation there. I'm Julie Corlett, south of Omini, and you're listening to The Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. Julie Corlett raises and trains championship show dogs, and she's also a professional dog groomer here in Corth Lakes. You can reach her at 416-560-8860. Just down here, close the door. 
Wow. Yeah, a big difference, right? Huge difference. Drive by Colborne Street near Victoria Avenue and Lindsay in either direction, and you can't help but see it. Well, not see it, actually. The tall, sand-colored walls that used to surround the former jail are now gone. You may be familiar with the public and political hubbub that came with the removal of these walls. Regardless of what side of this great wall debate you were on, the tall walls are no more. So what happens next with that wide open space outside what is now officially called the Corth Lakes Museum and Archives? I recently met with the museum's manager, Barb Doyle, where the walls once stood and where the big steel looking doors still stand. Here we are now where we're in the area that used to be surrounded by big stone walls. So just tell me about the process to, to get to this point. Well, it's been a very long process, actually, more than five years. The building is owned by the city of Kortha Lakes, so it's been taken care of by the city um, staffers for a long time. The walls were in some deterioration. There was some damage. Some of the capping had come off and, and there was water and, you know, freeze and thaw problems over years. And for about five years now, the, the walls have been under review by structural engineers. So each year they get a little worse, they get a little worse, they try and do some repair. Didn't really work so well. So these walls were only ever built by the province when this was still a jail in 8990. These were not the original walls and they were literally just concrete block. And the structural engineer would come, you know, it, it was like, once every year, then it was six months, then it was every three months, then every month, then every couple of weeks. <laughs> just keep checking and checking and checking to, to ensure that they were still, you know, safe enough to stay up. And they were not. So last year we had them cordoned off on the outside so people couldn't come close to them because we were worried about debris falling on people. So what was that process like for you? Because it's clear I know which side of the wall issue you stand on this one so what was it like for you this this whole process leading up to the decision to get them down well i really appreciated how the city you know attacked it really they they went through all of the proper processes they they engaged the the proper structural engineers they really looked at the history of it as well to ensure you know was heritage being um, removed and and they've taken some steps to ensure we keep pieces of it for future generations but for myself Safety was the key concern, um, truly. We were really worried about uh, visitors or passers-by um, or property damage should anyone, you know, have have been uh, impacted by any falling debris or anything. So for us, it's been a long process coming. It should have been uh, last year, but with COVID, everything was delayed. So when they started doing the, the demolition in February, it was kind of like, oh, yes, it's finally happening. <laughs> and we've had to really, you know discuss with the public and, and communicate with the public that although we're sad that that part of the heritage is no longer here like people don't see the walls anymore it doesn't evoke as much of that jail-esque kind of exterior anymore it the walls themselves were not the really the heritage piece of it um, we still have lots of footage we have photographs we have drone footage we have lots of information about the activities that happened within the walls when it was a working jail and we will create a beautiful uh, outdoor exhibit to commemorate that uh, in context if these had been the original heritage wall with the proper stone and the three layers of red brick still intact still safe that would have been a completely different conversation but they weren't. <laughs> was it a tough decision for you to, to, to recognize that, no, these have to come down as somebody who has a real vested interest in the history of all of this, albeit with a, a history that's 
maybe only 30, 40, 50 years. Yeah. What was it like for you to come to that decision and go, no, these have to come down? It was really becoming a very unused space. Um, and that's not uh, a reasonable thing to do with a, a building like this. The museum is a really vibrant community space. Uh, there's lots of people that visit during regular touring uh, times. <laughs> and we want to ensure that all of it can be used. So we're looking forward to the redevelopment of the courtyard space, the exercise yards, into some new space for our visitors, for the public, and, and hopefully that many people will enjoy it for years to come. We are getting some great response to how beautiful the people, like how beautiful the building is. People didn't realize how attractive it. it is actually. Yeah, because now they can see it. And uh, I mean, it looks a bit of a mess right now while we're still in construction or demolition rather, but, but it will be beautiful when it's finished. It, it hasn't all come down. We're standing right in front of the big steel doors here with the, uh, the concrete yes. archway. So uh, explain to me what was the uh, the reasoning in, in keeping that. Why did that not come down as well? So there was some uh, instruction from council uh, to try to preserve some aspects of the walls or features that could be safely done so. They are attempting to preserve the, the double sally port doors. They may or may not end up staying where they are. They may end up being moved just because of structural issues still. Um, but the city has identified that they would like to preserve them if they can. And these actually aren't really original doors either. They're just a metal clad wood. They're, they're actually, other than the fact that they are where they are, they're nothing really particularly historic about them. Keeping some parts of it to give that nod to the heritage is really important. Council was listening to community members that were a little unhappy that the walls were coming down in the first place. Like that's just a reasonable re response from council to try and, and ensure that the public is happy with their decisions. I think it really will come down to whether there's a safety aspect to it. But, uh, the double doors are still, like it looks like a monolith right now. It still hasn't been structurally reinforced. That is still to be determined. I'm guessing you were here when some of that demolition was taking place, when you saw the wrecking balls come down or whatever it was that they did tear down. What was it like for you to, to watch that happen in real time? It was uh, really a surprise one day when we knew, we got very little notice that it, the work was starting. We knew that work was coming, um, but we weren't sure exactly what the start date was. So all of a sudden we, we saw the cruise start and it came down. Uh, a little, a few, a few bricks at a time the first day, just to, just to kind of get a sense of I, I think what they were working with. What was your sense like watching those bricks come down? Uh, I was so happy that it was finally commencing because we really want to proceed with, you know, everything that's going to happen next. So kind of getting that start date was really great for us. But having the equipment on site was really loud, <laughs> and the whole building shook a lot. Today it's obviously very quiet. They've done the, the, a lot of the big work, but they had two big jackhammers running and bobcats loaders, um, different saws running all the time, and entire sections of wall would just come crashing down, and and it would reverberate through the entire building. Like it was really quite something to be surrounded on all sides by by that work happening. Was it, was it euphoric in any way for you, given everything you've had to go it through was to a, get this? It was exciting. It was it was just every day we check and see how much did they get done today what, what's happening now where are they at now um, the east wall came down very very quickly we had a lean-to shed attached from uh, one interior section to the other and when they took that down when they were trying to take some of the bracing off the entire wall you could see it moving and that just really 
showed to me how unstable that wall was. Our, our shed really did help keep it intact for as long as it, as it was. And then it just, it came down very, very quickly. Like entire huge 10 foot sections were coming down in one go. Well, let's talk about that future now. Cause here we are now, we're, we're standing in, in the courtyard. There's, there's dirt everywhere. There's, there's a, a construction fence to keep the passersby from actually entering it. What future can you envision here that, that may be that may have been a bit more difficult to see when the walls were here. Well, actually, it's really easy for me to envision what should come next. So we've planned out some, addi some additional parking space for a bus loading zone for tour buses. We often have requests for people to come on tour, but there's nowhere for them to offload. So it's very difficult, especially for senior tours. We have plans for green space. And in accordance with our lease, the entire South Courtyard space is reserved for a future build okay. for an expansion of the building. Uh, immediately there will be some grass put down for, for the short term and then development will happen for the parking lots and uh, what So I'll be next. standing on grass here. There will be hopefully kids getting off of a bus. Hopefully and... there will be grass here by the summer. Yes, hopefully. We'd really like to work with um, some other community organizations to build in some beautiful seating areas, places where people can can gather and enjoy the space you know, even when we're not open, which would be really nice. Um, and just and being a really good uh, part of the community here that being a good neighbor having a really beautiful space uh, that people can enjoy even as they're driving by I'm sure there'll be a lot of people who will enjoy it too when they're visiting uh, City Hall because it's just right there they can just walk right right next door or just coming by and, and uh, you know meeting up with their neighbors here we'll see what happens next Barb Doyle is the manager of the Corth Lakes Museum and Archives I think what I like about working in the city of Corth Lakes is that everybody just is very friendly, much friendlier than in Toronto. Well, it's because I can walk down the street and bump into the same lawyer that I was negotiating with, where as in Toronto, I'd often talk to a lawyer in the 50th floor on uh, TD Tower, and that lawyer, you know, I'd never bump into them, I'd never see them ever, but here if I'm working with a lawyer in town, I can certainly bump into them at Tim Hortons. Great environment to work in. This is Calvin Chan from Ward's Lawyers in Lindsay, your official sponsor of the Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. It's been a rough go for all working entertainers these past two years. Venues got shut down, then reopened, and some stayed closed. So as we slowly enter this next phase, it's still no sure thing for musicians ready to take the stage, any stage. That's why Hitcher made its own gig. The local cover band has booked the Ox Lodge at Fleming College's Lindsay campus for this coming Saturday, May 7, for a show appropriately called Lindsay Rocks. Hitcher is Mike Ruigan, Daryl Aspen, Brian Kehoe, and Big Rick Canooster. I met with Big Rick to talk about the band's music, their upcoming show, but also how the band managed to get together to practice under strict conditions. Well, the nice thing with Hitcher, we had practice. We actually cordoned off a basement in four sections in plastic. And we got, uh, we got together a couple of times before this first gig. And, uh, you know, the lights came on. I clicked in the first song, and uh, it was absolute magic. It was like riding a bike, 
uh, being off that bike for two years and then getting back on that bike was extremely comfortable. The camaraderie within the band was fantastic. Everybody are very, uh, very professional. So uh, we, we rocked it out of the park that night and it was, it was fantastic. We're all friends. Uh, we can kind of know what each other is thinking with a look. Might be a look of terror, but it's still a look. Um, and you know what, those guys are great friends. We've been together quite a few years now already. And, uh, you know, I, I, I really enjoy every second that I get to, to spend with them. They're kind of like a, a second family. It can be a tough thing sometimes to decide what's going on a pizza. So how do you decide what music you're going to choose? Well, it's kind of funny. Most bands are a democracy, so what we do is we will vote in songs um, and we'll listen to it, give our opinion, see if we're able to play it. I mean, some things might be over our head or, or not. And the, uh, the democratic process is alive and well in Hitcher for sure, and that's how our songs uh, come about. We're proud to say that over 70% of our set list is actually Canadian content. Why so, is that important? Uh, you know what, it's just something that's near and dear to our hearts. Um, you know, to kind of do cover music of Canadian artists such as, let's say, Tragically Hip, Bare Naked Ladies, even Gatto, Gob, uh, you know, Kim Mitchell, etc. It's, it's great, near and dear to our heart for sure. There's a few songs in our repertoire that were a little bit uh, daunting and now are my favorite songs to play. Once you've accomplished that, you think you can accomplish anything. You know, uh, somebody will vote in something that is a little bit uh, possibly over your head. And, and you know you can do it with a little support and a little love. A lot of practice. <laughs> We're just a few steps away here from the the Ox Lounge in Fleming College. Why did you choose that venue of all the ones you could have gone with here in, uh, in this area? Well, we like the local connection. Um, our uh, guitar player is a faculty at Fleming. Um, secondly, you can dress the Ox Lodge as much as you want. You can have 150 people with 150 people sitting, or 200 people and, and some sitting, or 300 people. And uh, depending on how many tickets we've got sold, we'll kind of you know, mold that event into what we need. Uh, secondly, I've been there a couple times. Great stage. Uh, the acoustics of the room was fantastic. And the staff are very friendly and welcoming. Recently in Lindsay, a couple of our uh, venues where we used to play, uh, Fiddler's Green and The Grand, have uh, closed and or resold. Um, so we were having trouble finding a venue to play in Lindsay, so we thought we would kind of make our own. Uh, make or break it, we'll cost average it with a couple of gigs and see if we can, uh, you know, at least get to zero and put on a party for everybody in Lindsay. I think they really deserve it after uh, two years at home. OK, 
Okay, so let's look ahead to May 7th here. As you're tearing down the gear at the end of the night, what would you like to point to? What would you and your bandmates like to go, you know what, this is why tonight was a success? Well, you know what, uh, playing music is all about the smiles per gallon. Um, I got to tell you, you know, at the end of the night, uh, I'm sure we'll play a, a very, very good show. Um, I'm going to have friends, I'm going to have family, uh, colleagues, co-workers, uh, and we're going to have some new faces, some new followers, some new friends, and uh, hopefully into the future they'll be uh, at our next show. Hi, my name is Rick Knuster, and you're listening to The Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. My thanks to Rick Knuster of Hitcher for making time for me. Hitcher plays Fleming College's Ox Lodge for a public show this coming Saturday, May 7th. You can purchase your tickets at lindsayrocks.ca. A shout out to our official sponsor, Ward's Lawyers. They offer a wide array of legal services and can certainly meet your needs. Contact them at wardlegal.ca. Our theme music was written and performed by Gerald Van Halteren. You can reach us via our Facebook page, which we encourage you to like. And please subscribe to our show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Podbean. It's totally free. And by subscribing, you help other people to find us. The Advocate Podcast Stories from Corth Lakes is written, produced, and hosted by me, Denis Grignel. Be smart, be safe, be aware. Talk to you in two weeks. Mm-hmm.